I don't know how closely you follow the news uh, on a regular basis or not, but this past year, a number of really famous people passed away. Uh, Glenn Campbell, one of my favorite country music singers, passed away last year. Uh, Don Rickles and Tom Petty and Mary Tyler Moore and uh, Hugh Hefner uh, passed away and Mel Tillis, Fats Domino, Jerry Lewis, and a long list of others. But I have a question for you. In 20 years, how many people are going to remember those folks? Their life, their death, what they live for? Maybe a few in 20 years. Here's an even bigger question. In 200 years, how many people do you think are going to remember Glenn Campbell or Mary Tyler Moore or Fats Domino or Jerry Lewis? Almost nobody. Because you almost remember nobody from 200 years ago. And some of you have taught history. And you don't remember those things, right? But people then, 200 years, just like people now, will still be talking about the one death in world history that above and beyond all others will forever have universal reverberations. And of course, I'm speaking of the crucifixion of Jesus. That one death is unlike any other death that's ever taken place in history. There were thousands of crucifixions in Roman times, but Jesus' crucifixion was different. And what made his crucifixion different, unusual, memorable, significant was the unique person and the sinless character and the motivation that led Jesus to accept the cross and endure it. And I chose my words there very carefully and maybe you tracked with me, but in case you didn't for the next few minutes, I want to remind you from the Bible of who Jesus is and what motivated him to choose, hear me, choose the cross. Because understanding this has the power to transform the eternal destiny of your life and the life of any person that you introduce all of this to. Understanding what we're going to talk about this morning has the power to radically alter the eternal destiny of every single person who with humility and faith will take serious what Jesus has done. We've just got to receive it. And it changes everything. So my hope, of course, this morning is that you'll listen, that for some of you, you'll remember, for some of you, that you'll believe, for some of you, that you will be touched to the core of your being to such an extent that you can't be silent. Because there's a God in heaven who's very much interested in you. The Bible tells us in John chapter 1, verses 1 and following, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, it says, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God, and God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. Brought understanding and life. And In fact, the Bible goes on to say in John chapter 1, verse 14, that the Word became flesh 
and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And the Bible goes on to explain a couple verses later that no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Now these verses are packed with insight, but the Bible is telling us here that Jesus was more than just an ordinary man. He was the creator, capital C-R-E-A-T-O-R. He was God himself. He gave life to everything. He brought light to everyone. And he chose to robe himself in flesh. Think about that. The implications of that are that unlike us, Jesus chose to be born. You didn't choose to be born. That was a decision of your parents. Like them or not, they chose you. I mean, you were a byproduct of them. But unlike that, unlike you and me, Jesus chose to be born. He chose to leave behind his throne an unrivaled power and unmistakable identity. And for him, that choice had far-reaching physical and spiritual implications. And it was that choice. 33 years later, landed Jesus in a garden in Gethsemane one spring evening just after he and his disciples had celebrated the Passover dinner. The Bible tells us in Matthew 26 that in that garden he took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he began to be filled with anguish and deep distress, and he told them, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and watch with me. Now let me just say this. You need to listen carefully to what Jesus is saying in verse 38 because Jesus is not prone to exaggerate or overstate things for drama. He's not into dramatic effect. Remember, he's the creator. He can speak the word and light come out of nothing. Okay? He can speak the word and four-day-old Lazarus come back to life. He doesn't have to do things for dramatic effect like you and I maybe would. And so when he looks at his disciples and he says, my soul is crushed to the point of death, he means it. In fact, Luke 22, verse 42 and following continues and just says, and he walked away about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will, not mine. Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him, and he prayed more fervently, and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. You realize the biblical translators, when they translate this, they don't know. There's a dispute within Christendom. Did it fall to the ground like sweat drops, great big drips of blood, or was it actually blood? Because... Some of the translations speak of it both ways. He's in such agony of spirit. 
Clearly, Jesus was deeply dreading the horrible events that were about to transpire and the anguish and the emotional and spiritual depletion that he experienced while waiting had to be torturous in ways that you and I just can't even begin to fathom. I mean, we can't even enter into the frame of mind that had to be his. The question that's enduring, though, is why would Jesus do that? This has rattled the mental cages of people for generations. Why would he do this? What could possibly have been motivating him? The Bible does not leave that to our to chance or to uh, you know, your or my random interpretation. The Bible tells us that as Jesus was finishing his time in prayer in the garden, a mob approached led by Judas, Luke 22 tells us, one of his 12 disciples, and Judas walked over to Jesus and greeted him, notice what it says, with a kiss. Jesus said, Judas, how can you betray me, the Son of Man, with a kiss? The other disciples saw what was about to happen. They exclaimed, Lord, should we fight? We brought the swords. And one of them slashed at the high priest's servant, cut off his ear. You remember who that was? It's Peter. But Jesus said, don't resist anymore. And he touched the place where the man's ear had been. Notice the language. Had been. It was cut off. You suppose there was blood there? Jesus touched the spot and healed him. And then Jesus spoke to the leading priests and captains of the temple guard and the other leaders who headed the mob and am I some dangerous criminally ass that you've come armed with swords and clubs to arrest me why didn't you arrest me in the temple I was there every day but this is your moment and then he says this the time when the power of darkness reigns The Bible goes on to tell how they arrested him, led him away. You know the story, you know from that moment on, things rapidly went from bad to worse. Not only did Judas betray Jesus, but the very first of the disciples to recognize the identity of Jesus, the Apostle Peter, denied him three times. All the other disciples except John abandoned him. Jesus was tried from that moment on three different times. Each time he was beaten, taunted, ridiculed. During one of those episodes, some of the soldiers made a mock crown for Jesus from the branches of a thorn tree. And if you've read your Bible, you know that with no mercy whatsoever, they thrust it upon his head, beating him over the head with a stick and forced him to wear it as they bowed down, sarcastically calling him their king gave him the stick and said, here's your scepter, king. During his trial before the Roman governor Pontius Pilate, a previously sympathetic crowd endorsing him just a few days earlier suddenly now has proved to be fickle. Pilate's address to them is recorded in Luke 23. Encourage you to read it this week. Reflect on it some. And he says, You brought this man to me, accusing him of leading revolt, he says to the crowd. I've examined him thoroughly on this point in your presence. And listen to what Pilate says I find him innocent. What's about to transpire, transpire is 
the biggest miscarriage of justice that you and I could comprehend in all of time or eternity. He goes on and says, Herod came to the same conclusion, sent him back to us. Nothing this man has done calls for the death penalty. So I will have him flogged, but then I will release him as if that was like a magnanimous act of mercy. The Bible goes on to say that a mighty roar rose from the crowd and with one voice they shouted, kill him and release Barabbas to us. The Bible explains Barabbas was in prison for murder and for taking part in an insurrection in Jerusalem against the government. And Pilate argued with them because he wanted to release Jesus. But they shouted, crucify him, crucify him. And for the third time he demanded, why, what crime has he committed? I found no reason to sentence him to death. I will therefore flog him and let him go. But the crowd shouted louder and louder for Jesus' death. The Bible says their voices prevailed. And so Pilate sentenced Jesus to die as they demanded. As they had requested, he released Barabbas, the man in prison for insurrection and murder. But he delivered Jesus over to them to do as they wished. Listen carefully to this. On that day, a guilty man went free. Barabbas. While an innocent man, Jesus, suffered his punishment. Immediately after his sentencing, Jesus, along with two other criminals, were led out of the city to a nearby hill so they could be executed. They were nailed to rough wooden crosses. And in the dialogue that took place as they're hanging on these crosses that morning, uh, it's particularly sarcastic, hateful. Onlookers shouted at Jesus, Come down from the cross if you're the Son of God. Religious leaders shouted to the onlookers, He saved others, <laughs> but he can't save himself. Soldiers chimed in, if you're the king of Jews, save yourself. The Bible even says that one of the criminals hanging beside him scoffs, so you're the Messiah, are you? It's a criminal. Nailed to the cross right next to him. He says, prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you're dying? We deserve to die for our evil deeds, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Listen carefully. Once again, a guilty man was freed while an innocent man, Jesus, suffered. Do you see a pattern here? For many, it wasn't enough that Jesus was being crucified. It wasn't enough that he was being publicly humiliated. It wasn't enough that he was being shamed, being basically hung here naked on a cross in front of everybody like he was a common criminal. 
They had to continually insult him with bitter, hateful, vengeful words. And amazingly, amazingly, Jesus didn't demand apologies during that moment. He didn't clench his jaw and say, just wait till after the resurrection, you guys. He didn't insult them back. Luke 23, 24 records his brief response, and not surprisingly, it was a prayer. Jesus said, Father, forgive these people. Forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. The Bible goes on to say that by this time it was noon and darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. The light from the sun was gone Suddenly the thick veil hanging in the temple was torn apart and then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. You know, experiencing what Jesus did would have been horrible beyond our ability to comprehend. There's a one-word explanation for why he was willing to endure it. The one-word explanation is love. And you are the object of his incredible obsession and love. Love for you, love for every sinner who's ever lived, love of a magnitude that we will experience from no one else, love that sometimes some of us go through life looking for it from other people and ignoring God when the truth of the matter is the only place you'll ever experience that kind of love is from the one and only, the only begotten Son of the Father who was innocent and died on a cross so that you, a guilty person, could go free. Amazingly, that same love that he demonstrated on the cross is even evident in his resurrection. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 and 22. I love these two, a couple of verses here, these three verses. The Bible says the fact is that Christ has been raised from the dead. He has become the first of a great harvest of those who will be raised to life, which there's all kinds of hope in that. The passage goes on and says, So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, Adam, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man, Christ, Everyone dies because all of us are related to Adam, the first man. But all who are related to Christ, the other man, will be given new life. New life. <coughs> Friends, Jesus, who was God robed in flesh, purchased your forgiveness on the cross. He's made a new life now, an eternal life when he returns, available to you, available to all who will, in humility and faith, receive what he's done for them.
and he has modeled for us the greatest example of the greatest virtue, love. I don't know who has sacrificed for you in the course of your life. And every one of us have parents who sacrificed for us. We have, some of us have mentors and people in our lives who invest in our lives and opportunities before us and sacrifice for us sometimes. All of those kinds of sacrifices. Our parents are worthy of honor because of what they do in our lives when we're helpless. Those mentors, those people who invest in us, they're worthy of honor because they believed in us when nobody else did. And Friends, there is no one who deserves more honor for your life or mine than Jesus because there's no one who has ever sacrificed more for you than he has. There's no one who loves you more than he has. My question for you this morning is, have you, have you honored him for the honor that he is due? He died so that you the guilty could go free. He's not just looking for you and me to come sit in a blue chair. Whoop tee doo. He's looking for you and me to humble ourselves and in faith embrace him with the level of devotion that he's embraced us. And maybe this this week, this day, what the Spirit of God is appealing to you to do is to honor him, to humble yourself, to in faith cry out to him, ask for forgiveness, ask for new life, ask for strength to obey him. If right now he's calling you to obey him and you think to yourself, I don't know how to do what he wants me to do, tell him that. You and I just need to be, be adults in the way we relate to him and just say, Lord, you're asking, me to, you're asking me in Scripture to be baptized. I'm scared to be in front of people and get wet. Admit it, if that's you. Maybe he's asking you to sever a relationship with somebody in your spirit. You know it because this person drags you down. This person drags you into a whole lifestyle that you just know is not right. And you are lacking the courage this morning. And you were singing a song called Brave and you like that this morning. And you're kind of thinking, that's what I need. I need to be brave. This morning, you just need to look heavenward and say, God, I need help to be brave. I need help to do the right thing. Maybe he's appealing to you to do something else and you know in your spirit it's him. You just humble yourself. Ask Jesus to fill you with his spirit. The same spirit that allowed him to face the cross with courage and determination. To set his face toward that so that the guilty could be made free. knowing that the day of resurrection would come. You and I will do that. God's spirit who filled him will fill you with bravery and strength and hope and faith, courage to do the right thing. And when you and I do that, he is honored.
It's not a matter of words. It's a matter of life and action. Friends, Jesus came to be your Savior. He embraced the cross because that's what it was going to take to save you, to save me. Will you decide today that you will embrace him? In faith in your heart? But will you demonstrate it with your actions? Never been baptized as an expression of your faith? Will you decide that you'll do that? Will you decide today that I, I'm going to be obedient to that, wet hair or not? I want to follow the example of the apostles, the example of the early believers. I want to close with this thought about the cross. One author has written, what a piece of wood. History has idolized it and despised it, gold-plated and burned it, worn it and trashed it. History has done everything but ignore it. May we be among those who honor it and embrace it and the one who hung upon it. We were made for that. We were made for that. And that will be going on for all eternity. I invite you to stand with me. We're going to close in prayer. Maybe some of you this morning just needed to say, you know, Lord, fill me. And if so, just invite you to do that. Just to, he hears your prayers and he knows when our hearts are open and he'll, he'll fill you. Maybe you need to be baptized as in a statement of your faith. If you've never been baptized in water as a, as a physical surrender of yourself and identifying with his resurrection when you come up out of the water, uh, you need to do that. Jesus instructed his disciples to go to all the nations, baptizing, making disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. None of us are an exception to that. Have you done that? Have you been obedient to baptism? Scripture teaches. Um, we can help you with that. Maybe there's some other area of your life you need prayer. Uh, we want to pray for you. Don't be ashamed of that. I mean, every one of us needs prayer. Every single one of us. And then take advantage of this week and bring people with you next week. It'll be a glorious weekend. Let's pray and then we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, thank you for every single person in this place. Thank you for their heart to want to honor you. To come to a place like this and remember your sacrifice for them. Father, we're just so aware that even when we think we understand the significance of what you did, there's so much more to it. Your spirit has a way of just reminding us routinely of the gravity of what you did, the significance of it. We celebrate your sacrifice this week and we honor you for it. We don't deserve it, but we honor you. 
We ask that this week you would give us the courage to do the right next thing. The boldness, the faith, the humility to follow your leadership instead of just our own or the coaching of everybody around us. Help us to walk in your ways that we might be better people and our world a better place. It might be more a reflection of what you dream of it being like. And as we reflect on your, your sacrifice even this week and come back next weekend to celebrate your resurrection, we, we marvel at your mercy and your power. The restraint that you showed on the cross, Lord Jesus, is staggering. And the restraint you show right now toward all of us is staggering. Help us to have the humility of spirit to bow our knee now before that day when you, as it were, come out of hiding and reveal yourself with all of your glory and power when the waiting is past and the opportunity has passed. We thank you for your sacrifice and we humble ourselves this day. Would you receive us as we try to receive you in faith? Thank you for your sacrifice. Go with us now as we reflect on these things. If some of us need to respond in some way, Holy Spirit, help us to respond as you're leading us. It's in Jesus' name we lift this prayer. Amen.